Hello, this is Oreski Daoud. I am the principal analyst at Mayor Risk LLC and I am also the editor of the North Africa Journal. Today is the 12th of January 2022 and as such, let me wish you a Happy New Year to you and your loved ones. Uh, today's topic goes outside of North Africa per se and focuses on one critical country in the Sahel region known as Mali. The Sahel is that region that is right below the Maghreb area of North Africa, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the west, all the way into beyond the eastern border of Chad, and sometimes we think that the red part of the Red Sea is part of it. While it has been critical in shaping the geostrategy of the region, its instability came from the fact that bankrupt domestic politics, bad governance, poverty, foreign meddling, and, and an environment in a state of catastrophe allowed Mali to become the focal point of a complex conflict, pitting many groups, from the jihadist groups to European powers and more. Now, because Mali became completely destabilized, it has become the launching pad of a jihadist movement that is now focusing its attention on the entire region uh, all the way to West Africa, actually. When you map the positions of the jihadists, be they affiliated to the Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State in the Sahel, or Boko Haram in Nigeria and in Lake Chad region, it's clear that the entire region is in state of war. Today's discussion is to address the security issues of Mali, the nation that has been central in the destabilization of the Sahel. I titled this piece as How Bamako and Paris, Paris, France, lost control of most of Mali's territory. Now, before we dig deeper into the subject, let me briefly address the state of affairs and the situation in the Sahel as we begin the year 2022. The year 2021 was obviously a horrendous period for the region. All the problems that one can imagine were there from the massacres of civilians to two military coups in Mali and, of course, an aggressive expansion of the jihadist groups in the region. Early this year saw the massacre of more than a hundred people in two villages of northwest Niger in an area bordering Burkina Faso, Mali and Niger. The targeting of civilians is now so intense that more civilians were killed than soldiers. Let me say that between January and November 2021, in a matter of 11 months, no fewer than 600 civilians in Niger alone were slaughtered in terrorist attacks, mainly conducted by an Islamic State offshoot. The figures of this year's killings are chilling. 200 people were killed in March in a single operation in the Tahua region, located in the northwest Niger. Another 160 civilians were killed in June in the village of Sulhan in northwest Burkina Faso. In 2021, and just for the country of Burkina Faso, the cumulative number of victims of terrorism since 2015 has crossed the threshold of 2,000 people, including at least 600 members of the Defense and Security Forces. The high number of victims is also tied to the growing frequency of attacks. In the border areas, 
For example, terrorist groups' raids on the villages of Burkina Faso, Mali and Niger are now occurring virtually on a daily basis. And in this case, the authorities appear powerless. Now, because of lack of government protection, the local communities are now forced to deal with jihadists and sign agreement with them in an effort to prevent more massacres. We think that this trend is likely to continue in 2022, giving a great deal of power to insurgent groups and obviously a regional platform from which they will expand. Now, so much so that uh, Mali's transitional prime minister, Maiga, has said that jihadist activities, which only concerned northern Mali in 2013, now affect 80% of the country. 80% of the country. And now terror groups are obviously looking to expand from the Sahel and into the Gulf of Guinea, in particular Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Guinea, and Togo. So, turmoil is everywhere. It's everywhere in the region. Chad, for example, another country experienced the brutal killing in April of its strongman, President Idris Deby Itno, a death that scared France and Nigeria, given Chad's military commitment in the Sahel and in the Lake Chad region. But let's dig deeper now into Mali specifically, and let's see how Bamako and France, that is Mali and France government, lost control of most of Mali's territory. I'd like to start by saying that Mali is in an incredibly precarious situation. It has a military junta that has attracted the ire of its primary backer and traditional supporter or patron, France, and many of the junta members have been blacklisted by the West African bloc known as ECOWAS for being non-compliant on a number of issues. While France, the global power that is tasked to police the Sahel region, is adamantly against talks with the jihadists, who have obviously wreaked havoc on Mali, now Paris appears powerless in containing the spread of the jihadist movement in the region. And the military in Mali, the Malian army, is as weak as ever. The latter appears to be more focused on what it can do and what it does best, that is, committing atrocities against civilians rather than rein in on the expansion of the insurgency movement. The governments in Bamako and Paris have already lost control of the north of Mali a long while ago, as, uh, as a while ago as 2013. There has been a plethora of insurgent groups that have settled in and operate from Manaka. Manaka has become a favored gathering place for jihadists, including virtually all the affiliates of the Islamic State group and Al-Qaeda. Former Tuareg rebels are also based there. Now, at the heart of this problem is France's insistence on neglecting the legitimate grievances of the ethnic Tuaregs, a population settled in the north. The latter have always decried the fact that they were abused by Malian military forces under the command of Bamako in the south. So we have a regional issue. 
lack of investments and a degraded environment in particular, created sort of this urgency of establishing more autonomy for the Malian regions to manage their own affairs, just like you would find in any country that has a federal model. Now, France insisted that such autonomy would go against its own interests and would, and it has obviously put a stop to the aspiration of the northern people. Now, as a result of that, the north of the country experienced a Tuareg rebellion that started nearly a decade ago. That rebellion eventually quickly morphed into a jihad, a holy war if you will, attracting jihadists from all over the region and far beyond. Weapons have been flowing freely from Libya, a situation that Niger president today still says is ongoing. And the deployment of foreign forces under the UN and under French command actually did nothing to bring stability in the region, it made it even worse. In an article on the issue, AFP News Agency quotes Lieutenant Colonel Will Meddings, head of Britain's contingent on UN peacekeepers, who compared the situation to a jigsaw puzzle, as the various forces in place are difficult to distinguish, to the point that recently Estonian troops with the French-led Barkhane anti-jihadist operation is reported to have accidentally fired on British personnel deployed in the same mission. Within Menaka itself, security is naturally the domain of government soldiers and government-aligned militias. But outside Menaka, the jihadists linked uh, to the Islamic State, for example, are in full control. In desert areas, no official troops, even those of the UN, dare patrolling the region, resulting in civilians being exposed to insurgent abuses, including, uh, and not limited to, paying taxes and experiencing jihadist justice. Violence against civilians has claimed the lives of dozens of people, Jihadists have used Menaka to stage attacks against villages in neighboring Niger. Now in the south, as we get closer to the capital, Bamako, the situation is no better. In fact, it's worsening, as jihadi groups have already positioned themselves around Niano, in the heart of the Sego region, just a few hundred kilometers from the capital. This is an area where the military is accused of killing civilians in a village known as Ndola on the 25th of October 2021, giving insurgents the local support needed or momentum needed to gain a foothold close to the capital. Now, what is tragic is that the region has been peaceful and has been trouble-free until the Malian military went on a rampage murdering civilians. The tragic event of Andola did not go unnoticed because a video filmed by the soldiers themselves showed a dozen troops pausing in front of the bodies of eight of their victims, including a child. This is while Prime Minister Kukalamaiga complained that France prevented the Malian military from re-establishing itself in Kidal. 
On that front, I have to admit, I happen to agree with France. A return of the Malian forces in Kidal would be a disaster, to say the least, given the alleged savagery of the Malian army and the kind of turmoil it can inflict on the central and the northern population. Now, the soldiers in the more than one-minute video footage bragged that their victims were slaughtered, and that included the seven-year-old child who had his throat slit. The oldest victim was 99. Such incidents are typically the works of jihadists or what we call dozos hunters, who are often organized as militias or bandits. But this time, the military has excelled at this gruesome task. Human Rights Watch quoted a villager saying that he helped bury the dead. He testified that the victims were executed by the Malian government forces. More bodies were eventually scattered in the region. Many of them had their eyes covered and their throats slit. <clears throat> For those of you like me who are shocked by this event, Note that this is not the first time the Malian army engages in atrocities and outright terrorism. Several human rights groups within Mali and abroad, including the UN's MINUSMA group, have documented such atrocities. But what happened in Dola is certainly a milestone, to say the least. It not only confirms the criminal nature of many, Mali, many Malian soldiers, sorry, but it also confirms the utter inability of the Malian military to secure key regions of the country just two hours from the capital city, Bamako. As it was pointed out by Human Rights Watch, since the end of 2020, the Segu region has been destabilized by clashes between fighters of Al-Qaeda affiliated group known as Jamaat Nasr al-Islam wal-Muslimin, or JNIM. <clears throat> it's a group headed by a, a man called Yag Agrali. And the Malian army, which has often been supported by self-defense militias known as Dozos. Now, before these clashes erupted, the Malian military has been utterly absent from the region. Many villagers say they have not seen one single soldier in months. And even in years, as is the case of in remote villages, paving the way for the jihadists to seek ways to settle there. Villagers noted that only people carrying weapons that they encountered over the past years were jihadists. In the few military outposts of the region, soldiers never venture out and never respond or responded to the distress calls coming from villages that were being attacked by jihadists. Soldiers never perform patrols to ensure their, uh, an official presence. Today, residents of Segu say that of the seven districts in their province, five of them are partly under the control of jihadists of the Katiba Messina, a group headed by Amadou Kufa and affiliated to the GNIM. In those districts, the jihadists have imposed many of their rules. Many schools have often been for forcefully closed, and villagers have been banned from doing business with the state.
women have not been allowed to leave the village without a male companion. And obviously they must be wearing the veil and the hijab. Hunters are no longer allowed to carry weapons or hunting weapons. And traditional festivities of all sorts have been discontinued, now banned. Those who fail to follow these rules would obviously face severe punishment, including death sentence. Until mid-2020, the Sikha region was spared from the violence of the insurgency that has destroyed the neighboring region of Mopti up north. Today, however, Segu has become the number one concern of the authorities in Bamako, largely due to, as you would guess, its proximity to the capital. The region is also home to rice-growing fields that are critical to the Malian economy and the country's food security in general. The sub-region of Niono is a major rice-producing zone. However, this is where most of the clashes and fighting between militant groups and, and locals have recently taken place. The situation in the region worsened rapidly during the second half of 2020 when the jihadists, previously operating in Messina region, in neighboring Mopti, began to move in large numbers in Segu to impose their rules on the local populations. It's unclear as to what the insurgents' aim in the region has been. It's likely a combination of expanding their reach, their geographic reach, now that they control Messina, and most likely an effort to control the rice fields and other farmlands managed by an organization called Office du Niger to eventually choke the capital Bamako in terms of food access. To make things worse, cattle owners in the region have called on the jihadists to help them in their fight against farmers. The jihadists are now reported to be in control of dozens of localities and towns inflicting violence such as targeted assassinations and, and kidnappings. Now, the military, for its part, has been largely powerless in this crisis, prompting the dozos and local villagers to form self-defense militias. But these militias cannot measure up to the strengths of the jihadists themselves. They still use traditional hunting rifles, that remain largely ineffective in the anti-insurgency fight. In need of support and without the help of the military, the militias of Segu have called on their peers of the Messina region, who are clearly better equipped and in larger numbers. They have set up camps in the region, notably in Buyagiwere, in a region called B3, and in another region called Dogofri. Roadblocks have been erected on most major routes and more militias were formed within many villages. But with the extended body of militias comes trouble. Ethnic Fulanis, or Pearls as they are called here, have accused the militias of targeting them and killing their members. The Fulanis who are herders are often accused of collaborating with the jihadists. In the absence of the state, the militias have become a real police force in the region and have been performing their own justice. 
the dozos in reality have engaged in all sorts of abuses, including torture. They have been imposing forced recruitment on local populations, often against their will. They have even gone so far as to demand that each family supplies a member for battle. If a family refuses, it would be fined tens of thousands of CFA francs. Now, as in the battered region of Mopti, the population of Segu is stuck between a rock and a hard place. On the other hand, there are the jihadists, who have been seeking to impose their own laws. On the other hand, there are the dozos who, in the name of security, they have put in place a system of control based on violence and armed militias formed by local populations form alliances either with the military or with the jihadist groups based on the politics of the day. For about one year now, actually one year and a half to be precise, the region has been in total state of war pitting the jihadists to the dozos in, in a clash over territorial control. Violent clashes have been uh, reported and the villagers have no solution to this problem. In one such villages, in Farabugu, villagers have been unable to leave their homes to cultivate their fields situated, situated a few kilometers away. As such, poverty and malnutrition have been on the rise. This blockade of villages was widely reported by the media in Mali. And at the origin of, of this blockade, was the presence of dozos in Farabugu, who have led a punitive mission against a Fulani man. As a result, jihadist groups demanded that the villagers surrender the, attack the attackers because they support the Fulanis. As the villagers refused, the jihadists surrounded the village and prevented anyone from leaving or entering, and the army can't do nothing. The situation lasted from October 2020 to March 2021, with lengthy talks between the village elders and the jihadists allowing for a momentary reprieve. Although an agreement was eventually reached that allowed the end of the blockade, the deal, which was really a, a submission in fact, fell through and the blockade was re-established recently. Farabugu is just one example. It's not the only village with the same predicament. Others have been facing the same fate in their Inhabitants cannot leave to work or fetch, or fetch food or fetch water. In this context, the state remains completely powerless. The state is absent and health services continue to function only with the blessing and the rules of the jihadists. The state is so weak that even those displaced by the conflict and the ones that move to a region like Niono or a city like Bamako receive no support from the government. They live in abandoned classrooms with no one providing them with the basic necessities or any support whatsoever. So what is to make about the future of Mali and indeed the region in general? If anything, these events suggest that the region will continue to live in turmoil in the next, who knows, years even. In fact, for people who track Africa, 
the northern part of the continent is set to destabilize further. There were hopes that Libya, for instance, would have its own presidential election in December 2021. That never happened. And so stability there is not a short-term prospect. In the Sahel, as we saw, the situation is even worse. And so we should expect yet another active, difficult year in the region. Finally, for those of you who travel, who work, who have a staff in, in the regions that we cover at Maya Risk, please check out our Shield and Alert Critical Incident Awareness and Notification System. Visit shieldandalert.com or shield-alert.com and let us be your eyes, your ears, and your analysts on, on the ground on threats and security there. Until our next chat, thank you for listening and goodbye.